All right. So when the Bible speaks about injustice, it's not talking about the person who, <clears throat> this last week, the street right here in front of our church, they've been doing a lot of construction down the road. And I have to take my children to school and I need to come down this road every day. Well, this week, we're backed up, like backed up, backed up in the left lane. And the right lane is totally clear because it ends, and everybody's supposed to move into this lane, but it's open because a bunch of people turn to the right down at the bottom. Well, you know that one person I'm talking about who likes to fly up, you know? And then I'm sitting there literally running late for school. I'm in the line stuck. It's way backed up for a good five minutes. I see them come and I'm like, no, they're not. Oh, yes, they are. They pull in. Well, guys, that's not biblical injustice. I felt like it was, <laughs> but that's not biblical injustice, okay? You see, when the Bible talks about injustice, it's referring to a very specific sin, okay? Injustice is abuse of power to take from others the good things that God intends for them, their life, their dignity, uh, the fruits of their love, their labor. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes gives uh, a, a simple and painful picture of injustice, in Ecclesiastes 4, it says this, Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. Think about that. God actually sees the tears of those being oppressed. And they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. You see, this is a very good biblical picture of injustice. This is a picture of someone who has power oppressing someone who does not. So this is someone who has really taking from another who has not. So we see this story in King David's life. Uh, we know him as the uh, beloved king of Israel, uh, a poet, a songwriter, right? King David. Well, he wakes up one morning, it was springtime, and he sees this woman as he's out on his rooftop and says, hey, I want her. She's taking a bath, and I like what I see. I want Bathsheba, right? So uh, with his kingly authority, he abuses that authority, and he takes Bathsheba for himself. And then he tries to cover up that abuse by getting rid of her husband, Uriah, having him purposely murdered in war. So when the prophet, Nathan, confronts David, you guys can read about that back in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and on, he confronts the king primarily on his abuse of power. You guys remember that? That was the issue. King David, what have you done? You are abusing your authority so he confronts them in that way. So we could say that these, well, that's an ancient story, ancient text. That type of thing, that doesn't happen today, not in our world, right? Well, we might like to imagine that our world today is different. It's less brutal. It's more just. But my connection with an organization called International Justice Mission has really helped me understand that's just simply not true. That's not the case. 
You see, Ecclesiastes and David's story are just as current in our world today as there were thousands of years ago. So let me offer you guys just a couple of statistics. First of all, uh, Walk Free Foundation, according to them, there are over 45 million. I want you guys to get that. 45 million uh, people in the world who live as slaves. 45, we're not talking just a few thousand, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. We're talking about 45 million, okay? Is there a problem? Absolutely. To put that in perspective, 45 million is greater population than 158 countries. Think about that. Different countries in our world. That's a lot of people, guys. 45 million is more slaves that were trafficked during the 400 years of the transatlantic trade, slave trade during that time. So 45 million people enslaved today is more than there has been at any other point, any other time in history. So is there a slave problem? Yes, and it's worse than it's ever been, period. Do we want to think about that? No, because we're free. We live in the land of the free. I don't want to think about what's actually happening. So how is this possible? How is it possible that 45 million people could be living in the yoke of slavery and we don't even know about it? There are many people out there who say, hasn't slavery ended? Isn't slavery something that we just read about in our history books? I can assure you slavery still exists, although this is not my world or your world this is their world and i want to share with you kumar's world working 14, 18 hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the bond laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, there is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. Ruchira, there's a girl who's very afraid. Almost unable to walk. This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. I'm going to go to the house. 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 I'm going to go to the house.
அப்புறம் அவங்க வந்து கூட்டிட்டு போனாங்க ரூமுக்கு கூட்டுன்னு போனாங்க அப்புறம் ஷூ கால் வச்சுட்டாங்க வேற நம்ம அப்பா அம்மா இருந்தால் நம்மளுக்கு நல்லா இருக்கா அப்படின்னு நினச்சி Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out. IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused, there is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You'd ask him a question any time, no matter what, and he would say, the one thing I want to do is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker, to help those still suffering like he did. And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after Pretty cool ministry, huh? They're doing a lot of good. So uh, just imagine for a second being a seven-year-old kid and being taken, um, being orphaned to begin with, losing your mom and your dad 
and the only family you know has been sold off to this um, brick kiln uh, owner. A harsh man that yells at you, doesn't care about you, ignores you, who forces you to wake up before the sun to join dozens of others twice your size for a long day of labor, um, of molding, hewing, stacking, carrying these bricks. So you're confused, you're terrified, you don't know uh, you're a slave because you're the only child. So this was Kumar's life and a story really of millions of other children and families um, all across India and much of uh, the developing world. So month after month of forced labor left Kumar's tiny hands uh, scarred, um, raw. Kumar wanted desperately to be in school. He wanted to make friends. He wanted to play. He wanted to feel love. He just wanted to be a boy, right? So he said he was literally afraid to think of his future, so he never did. There was only the work, the harsh fists of his owner to keep him working. So I wish I could say that Kumar was just one story, but he's, uh, it's not. Uh, the reality is that there's slavery. Uh, it's, it's pervasive. It's violent. It's all across India. Enslaved women uh, fear being gang raped by uh, their owner's henchmen. Um, brutal violence is used to create fear and prevent escape. One victim's arm I read about was doused with kerosene and lit on fire because he had escaped and they caught him. That was his discipline. Uh, mother's stomach was stomped on when she tried to stop one of the henchmen from beating her little two-year-old daughter. Um, entire villages approached and promised, if you guys move a couple states away, uh, you will find work. You'll be able to provide for your families and they get shipped off and when they finally arrive. Um, they're slaves. They don't know the language. They don't know where they are. They don't know how to get out. This is happening today, guys. Um, so they tell us that they've beaten, shocked uh, uh, slaves with electrical wires. They tie them up into cow sheds, treated them less than human. So Kumar uh, is really just one uh, of what is estimated to be a nearly 12 million, think about that, 12 million slaves in India alone. And just to be clear, guys, one-third of the world's slaves are estimated to live in India, 12 million people who are made in the image, uh, in God's image, have been reduced to a thing, a non-person, a slave. So what do we do with that information? How do we respond to Kumar's reality, the reality of millions of others? How are we to respond to such injustice? Well, the very best place to start would be ask the question, how does God deal with it? How does he feel about all of this? So it turns out the answer is the question pretty straightforward, and one of those places is in Luke chapter 4, We'll pick it up in verse 14. 
This is a very point in which Jesus transitions, okay, his private life now into public ministry. So it's a very crucial you know, moment when Jesus decides to signal what his ministry was going to be and what the kingdom of God on earth was to be all about. And it reads almost like a scene from a movie script as we read through this. Let's take a look at verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. In news of him, they went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and to reco- and recovery of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So in the synagogue, Jesus does what history counts as probably one of the most rock star moments ever. Think about what he just proclaimed, what he just did. He announces who he is not by sending out a press release or starting a mass email to all his friends, but rather what is he doing here? He's he's standing up and he's reading from what? The scroll of Isaiah, this prophet who spoke about the coming Messiah and what God would do when he finally came to planet Earth, right? So this was Jesus announcing via the sacred words of Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah was standing right in front of them, that these words of promise were to be realized in him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release of the captives, to recovery sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. So one way, guys, this passage has been understood is that Jesus' mission was about freeing us from sin. He brings good news to those who are poor in spirit. He proclaims freedom to those who have led captive Uh, lives captive to sin. He heals us who are blinded of our sin, and he sets free the oppression oppression sin causes in our lives. So freedom from shame, freedom from alcohol, freedom from eating disorders, from self-esteem issues, from trauma, whatever. And this is true. Jesus does these things, and it is good news for us all, but I don't think it's biblical, it is correct, just to stop there. I think we really miss the deeper truth of what Jesus is proclaiming. You see, Jesus is declaring what? Himself to be a prophet, priest, and king, the Messiah, whose mission is not just to rescue people from a spiritual bondage, 
Okay? Not to just offer spiritual freedom, but Jesus is declaring the very, very good news that he is offering freedom from all who speak to imprison those that he loves. And this proclamation of Jesus extends to people like Kumar, to the, those who are physically imprisoned by other people. So this, in fact, is how my friends at International Justice Mission have come to understand the mission of Jesus. You see, IJM, it's been founded for almost 20 years now. Um, it really embodies this call of Jesus, okay, to actual people, to Kumar. So that's why I can tell you today that Kumar is no longer suffering at the hands of this brutal brick kiln owner. You see, he remembers the day of his rescue, that it was quick. It was life-changing turn of events. But really, I'd taken months of careful planning by IJM staff and local police investigated uh, the atrocities that were happening in the kiln. And together, IJM and the local authorities, they infiltrated the kiln, docu or documented uh, legal evidence that brought Kumar and the other slaves there to freedom. So a boy, once terrified to even think about his future, suddenly has a chance. How cool is that? CIJM counselors stayed by his side and promised him over and over again that he was finally safe. You're free. It's going to be okay. Um, it's for real. So as the good news sunk in, Kumar, he was overjoyed. He told us that when I heard that somebody is going to release me from here, I felt very happy. I was happy no longer uh, needed to be suffering, that my life was about to change. So since that turning point, uh, everything has changed for Kumar. And today, Kumar is thriving in his freedom. He's a deep thinker. He likes to dance. He's uh, actually a fantastic dancer, people say. Uh, he's in college. He's a student. And in fact, he just joined a team this last year to Bangalore, fighting to bring freedom to the people enslaved just like he was. So, you see, the first link in redemptive change of salvation for Kumar was his real freedom from captivity. Now he's experienced real freedom and spiritual freedom in Christ. The good news. So there is freedom from oppression because of the work of God's people following in the footsteps of Jesus being on mission with Jesus. So Kumar's story of rescue is great, but it seems like just a drop in the bucket. Um, and I really assure you guys that it isn't. Things are happening. Um, because of the scope of what we and IJM are doing together every day, okay, things are changing. Uh, when Sonny and I got married 15 years ago, uh, one of the gals that we went to Bible college with over in Austria uh, flew out for our wedding, uh, Elizabeth, and she went on staff uh, with IJM. She went to school, okay? Because there are so many different things going on and so many people who have given themselves to this call. They get the heart of God, they see it biblically, and they got to do something about it. IJM consists of a little over 750 Christian lawyers, Okay, a lot of us don't like lawyers, but there are good lawyers. <laughs> and there are good lawyers doing good 
things, okay? So think about that. That's a lot of lawyers. There's criminal investigators. There's trauma social workers, pastors, graphic designers, every job that you can think of. They have 17 different communities throughout Africa, Latin America, South and Southeast Asia. So we are not just seeing real freedom from individuals caught in slavery. We are seeing real freedom from whole cities, in fact, whole countries. So a lot is happening. IJM is, uh, did a project in the city of Cebu in the Philippines to combat sex trafficking of minors. After five years of comprehensively working with all stakeholders in the public justice system, independent auditor, auditors confirmed that 79% reduction in the number of minors in the sex trade industry there. So this is massive, guys. A lot of you guys know Levi Chai. He was youth pastoring for us a couple years ago. He's now at the Bible College, the Dean of Men. But he's been taking trips down to the Philippines to the Bible College down there. And you know what they're doing? They're running into the cities and grabbing these young girls who are in slavery, okay, in the sex trade there, okay, grabbing them out. That's pretty awesome. And if you think about it, the Filipino government then decided to scale this strategy to several other major uh, metropolitan areas. So by the grace of God, in the span of just two decades, we may see the near uh, eradication of sex trafficking of minors in the Philippines. That is phenomenal. That is happening right now, guys. In Cambodia, a country that used to be considered ground zero for pedophiles and uh, sex tourists, 15 years of collaboration between the Cambodian leaders, police, courts, social services, and NGO community has made a uh, dramatic change in uh, Cambodia's children. Uh, as of 2015, a uh, prevalent study, uh, uh, <coughs> study is conducted uh, by IJM. They found that the uh, prevalence of young minors in the largest commercial sex marketing in the country once estimated to be as high as 15 to 30%. Think about how much was going on, okay? Has been vertically eradicated to less than one-tenth of 1%. It is almost gone completely, guys. Okay? So there are certainly other challenges to face in Cambodia and the Philippines. But let's pause for a moment and acknowledge that there are thousands of girls and women who now will never be abused in the first place. I mean, that is beautiful to think about. And let's uh, let this miraculous truth sink in. Every day, we move closer to seeing the end of slavery in our lifetime. From the perspective of the mission of Jesus, this is precisely what happens when the church really stands up to the call that Jesus made here in Luke chapter 4. It's a call to go after the lost sheep, the wounded lambs, to have that have been kicked to the curb, have been forgotten. So this is a central part of biblical narrative of Christian history. You think about it, everywhere Jesus goes, he's a great liberator, isn't he? You know? So, Exodus chapter 3 um, is where we see God. Um, God hears the cries of the Israelites, and he gets a hold of Moses, and he sends Moses to confront the most powerful empire in the known world until finally the Israelites are set free. We all know this story, we're all familiar with it. 
How many thousands of years ago was that? But then you just think back to the late 1700s. God hears the cries of those who are enslaved in the British Empire, and he calls William Wilberforce. Wilberforce tenaciously introduces a bill 16 years in a row in the parliament to end slavery, and finally the bill gets passed in the slavery uh, that was there in Britain and the British Empire comes to an end. And then again, in the 1800s, God hears the cries of those enslaved in the U.S., and he calls Harriet Tubman to mobilize a vast network of churches and different houses to create safe passage to freedom. And God inspired Abraham Lincoln, despite the tremendous political uh, challenges of the day even now, uh, to really use his position and influence to bring an end to the slavery in the United States. And even now, God's using our friends at IJM to bring freedom to Kumar and boys in the you know, fishing industry in Ghana and girls in the brothels in Mumbai uh, for thousands of people every single year. So, I would love for our church to join their efforts um, to join really what Jesus is doing in this bold mission and specifically to join IJM in the fight against injustice um, until all are free. You know, there's no reason. And we know that's not going to happen until the Lord returns and he is ruling and reigning. But man, brothers and sisters are doing things today and things are changing, things are happening because they're doing something about it. So we can be part of the solution. We can be part of this miraculous transformation. We can be witnesses to the kingdom of God as it shatters the darkness. So I want to invite each one of you guys to really join the global impact community of believers that are having just results, having an impact when it comes to slavery globally. Um, IJM has this thing of being a freedom partner. Okay? There's a lot of ministries out there ask for X amount of dollars. Uh, they ask for $24 a month or more or whatever um, to be a part of that. But a big thing, when you partner with them and stuff, you're given information, specifics, how to pray, what's going on. They have conferences stateside that you can go be a part of. You can get to know some of the missionaries and different lawyers and different things uh, that are going on. And Freedom Partner Advocate is really key in legislation that seeks to end slavery. You know, and that's huge. It's awesome that we have brothers or sisters that are willing to risk their lives and go in and grab people out and physically take them, rescue them that way. But where the impact is, is actually having these lawyers sitting down with the local governments of the world and working with them, using their authorities <laughs> to make these things stop. And that's really the approach of IJM. Uh, I have one more video that I'd like to share with you guys before wrapping up here. Uh, we all know the Good Samaritan story. Two other people walked past this man who was hurt and wounded. There was one person who stopped, picked him up, and paid for his care. It didn't take too much, it just required him to stop 
and actually pay attention that somebody is suffering pay attention that somebody is wounded now jesus talked to us about this parable because he wants us to be like that good samaritan you may be removed miles and miles away from where these things are happening from where the crime of human trafficking or slavery is happening but you're also very close to the heart of jesus he wants to extend his kingdom on this earth and he doesn't just come from heaven and do it himself he uses people like you and i he uses us as his instruments he uses our abilities to extend his kingdom do you want to be someone who stopped and decided no this is this is wrong it cannot happen on my watch it cannot happen in my time and so the invitation is open If you are watching this, it is because you woke up this morning and made the choice to get here. And when you leave this place, you take it with you. Right now, there are more than 45 million people around the world still bound in slavery, and that number is growing. IJM has a model that works. but we can't do more unless we have more help so we are asking believers from around the world to take action and take us with you too we call them freedom partners when you become a freedom partner you join a community that is actively praying advocating and spreading the word to get more people involved by giving $24 a month or more we can grow our global mission to find rescue and renew lives because lack of resources should never be the reason why we didn't end slavery do you want to be one of them who walked past or do you want to be someone who stopped and decided no this is wrong It cannot happen on my watch. It cannot happen in my time. And so the invitation is open. Join us and become a freedom partner today. So on the back of your bulletin, I got the website there. Uh if that's something that you're wanting to do. Um yeah. Pray about it. See what you can do to partner with these guys. But the story of Kumar uh, is a story of just one person. There's still over 45 million people who are just uh, like him. They're still enslaved. Many of them, like Kumar, are young children. That's the part that gets me, guys. Um, slavery shouldn't even be happening, but much less this is happening to little kids. We had our seven-year-olds come up here this morning. that's what's happening. Um so many of them like Kumar are still uh kids but um the reality of them uh without parents uh or their whole families are enslaved they just want to be a kid they just want to play uh but they can't so they can't because they're owned by another human being and like Kumar when they're sick they don't have anyone or they don't find compassion someone there 
uh, hands of a, a mother to comfort them, but rather a harsh hand of their master offering cruelty. So they live without hope, and they don't know, though it is that day is a day that someone on the other side of the world will do something and ultimately be a part of bringing rescue to them. You see, if you are a slave and you have never imagined life beyond the life which you've known, you cannot imagine that there's another side of the world, that on the other side of the world there are people who are living in freedom, and not only do they live in freedom, but they have the power to rescue um, that are beyond anything that a slave could even dream as possible. And if they knew that such a person existed and such a power and resources were in the person's uh, possession, that person was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that one used all his power and resources to set free others, then for the first time in their life, they probably would have a reason to hope. So in Kumar, or if Kumar, while he was still a slave, heard that a person like you existed, he might dare to hope. You see, guys, Jesus has called us to be like him, to be people that love, people who are compassionate, to be people who use our power and resources to set others free. So this morning, guys, we have a chance to do just that. So this is a moment. This is a moment for you. Um, for others like Kumar, okay, this is a moment for you and I to respond really to the mission of Jesus. You know, and the sad part is, this is one Sunday a month. We might talk about this again next year during Freedom Sunday. But I think this is something that we need to be mindful of. We need to go and we need to look. I asked you guys last week, take some time, study out what is going on in the world in regards to slavery. I hope you took the time to look into it. I hope that provoked you to look into, well, what's going on? <laughs> what ministries are out there to stop this? What's, what's happening? You know, it's good to be aware of those. You guys know that I like Voice of the Martyrs. They got a little app on the phone. You can pray for the persecuted church all around the world. But you know what? If you're on there and you're looking through, every day they have a different country, a different group of people being persecuted. A lot of times, <laughs> slavery comes up. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going on in that part of the world. It's going on all over. But the thing is, what can we do? Well, we can't do nothing. We're way over here. <laughs> you know, we got our own lives, our own things going on. But we got brothers and sisters that are giving themselves to this work. And I think it's a privilege for us to be able to support those type of ministries, to pray for those type of ministries. So I would encourage you guys, you know, don't let this just be a one Sunday thing. I thought about it. You know, put it on your calendars. Hey, look into slavery. Look into these different ministries. What's going on? How can I be praying? What can we be doing? So I encourage you guys, you know, just be on mission with Jesus. He's so big and doing so much. And it's not just right here in our own little lives in our own backyard. He's doing things all over the world. And it's a privilege to be a part of. And it's a privilege this morning just to be able to take a Sunday and just consider this reality. I think it's needed. I think it's healthy for our church. It's good for us to get some perspective. So.